Well, Merry Christmas. My name's Clayton Walker. I'm the lead pastor of the City Church, and we are so excited you're here. I know we got a lot of new people, family members. We're thankful that you could join us this morning. You know, when we think of the Christmas story, most of us tend to go to the Gospel of Luke, the, the, the Gospel of Matthew. We think about songs like Silent Night that say all is calm and, and all is bright. But without the backstory to the Christmas story, without some context, without some depth here, it's easy to gloss over the darkness, the hurt, the pain, that the suffering and the evil that brought about the birth of the Messiah. And then even now, the suffering, the pain, the sickness that so many people experience now, it can leave them feeling disillusioned with the all is calm and the all is bright version of the Christmas story. But, but let, me, let me show you what I'm talking about here because it's so important to know, and that's, that's why in this Advent season, our church has been looking at the backstory to the Christmas story. But, but let me give you another example. With that song, Silent Night, that says, all is calm, all is bright, sleep in heavenly peace. I don't know about you, but right now, our life is not calm and, and all bright, and I'm not sleeping in heavenly peace. I'm just gonna be honest with you. And so maybe you've been there before, or if you haven't, the, the, the scriptures are clear that you, you, you will be at some point. And so let, let me give you a little bit of a backstory here to, to even that song, Silent Night, because again, context, right? Depth, backstory, can change everything about the meaning of something. And that's true with this song. The song's lyrics were originally written in German just after the end of the Napoleonic Wars by a young Austrian priest named Joseph Moore. In the fall of 1816, Moore's congregation was reeling. 12 years of war had decimated the country's political and social infrastructure. Meanwhile, the previous year, one historians would later dub the year without a summer, had been catastrophically cold. The eruption of Indonesia's Mount Tambora in 1815 had caused widespread climate change throughout Europe. Volcanic ash in the atmosphere caused almost continuous storms, even snow in the midst of summer. Crops failed there was widespread famine. Moore's congregation was poverty-stricken, hungry, and traumatized. And it was in that context that Moore wrote Silent Night. All is calm. All is bright. Sleep in heavenly peace. That's the backstory. That's the context. That, that's the the basis from which this song was written. Moore wrote this song to encourage his congregation that you can know a peace, that all can be calm, that you can know a light, that all is bright in spite of the darkness when your hope and faith is in Christ. You see, it changes everything to know the backstory. That even a song like all is calm, all is bright, sleep in heavenly peace, it was written in a period of intense, suffering. Moore was challenging his congregation to look to Christ, that this time of darkness would not go on forever, that there is a light shining in the darkness, as John 1 says, that peace, that calm can be found in Christ, even in the midst of intense suffering. 
in the worst of conditions. It changes that song a little bit, doesn't it? To know the context in which it was written. You see, Christmas Advent commemorates the waiting for and the arrival of the Messiah, the Son of God, the King that would reign on David's throne forever. The word Advent itself means arrival or an appearing, a coming into place after a long period of waiting. See, Jesus didn't arrive without a wait. Isaiah's prophecies are 700 years before the birth of Christ. The people of God have always been and will always be a people that wait. Waiting on Advent. Israel waited for the first Advent. You and I as the church, as followers of Jesus, we await the second Advent when Christ will return. Many of us find ourselves in the waiting, waiting on a Resolution, a diagnosis, a relationship, a breakthrough, a rescue, a promotion. We've all experienced the agony of waiting. Our problem is the same as the recurring biblical problem. God's perceived slowness in arriving or in answering or in rescue gives way to feelings of God's perceived absence. And when you think about it from this angle, the entire story of the Bible can be read as an answer to a question most of us carry in our souls. Why does God feel so far away? Why doesn't he answer? Why doesn't he move? You see, the beauty of the biblical story is this. The Bible not only acknowledges this soul ache, it provides an answer. And so whether we look at the story of Adam and Eve, Mary and Joseph, your story, my story, the pattern is the same. God desires to draw near to us, whether it was walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden or in the construction of the tabernacle, the temple where God's presence would reside on earth. In Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, the word became flesh. He made his dwelling among us and he lived with us and talked with us. Or now in the new covenant through the Holy Spirit, God is with us and indwells us with his presence. God's desire is to be near his people, to be with his people, to be in relationship with his people. You see, it's God's presence that ultimately comforts, that saves, that fulfills, that satisfies, that that strengthens, regardless of the situation or the circumstances you might find yourself in. And Christmas is one of God's clearest reminders that he intends to come and live with us, even live with us again in his second advent. It's been his heart all along. And so this Christmas, we're praying that you and your family would know this, believe this, and and feel this because it's his presence. It's in a relationship with God through his son Jesus that our hearts find peace and satisfaction. It's what Colossians says we were created for, that you and I were created to know Jesus, to have a relationship with Jesus, to worship Jesus, to serve Jesus. And so our church has been in a series called Advent where we've been looking at the backstory to the Christmas story. And here's here's been the big idea for this series over the last month. Our souls are longing for his presence, not gift-wrapped presence. Right, our our souls are longing, whether you realize it or not, that the soul ache that you have inside of you is for Jesus. It's for a relationship with God through Jesus. It's for his presence, not that gift-wrapped presence. And so in this series, again, we've been looking at the 
backstory to the Christmas story. And today we're going to see more of the, the backstory. The backstory to all is calm, to all is bright, to, to, to sleeping in heavenly peace. The backstory to even the gospel of Luke and the gospel of Matthew's account of the Christmas story. You see, there's something happening beneath the surface, like in the spiritual world, that there's something happening in Christmas. There's a backstory. There's a context. There's a depth here that we don't necessarily get in Matthew and in Luke, but we do get, and I bet this will be maybe the first time you've ever heard the Christmas story told from Revelation. It's a little bit different picture of the Christmas story, right? You see, in Revelation, we have what's called apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature is written in a way to wake you up. Like to wake you up out of a spiritual slumber. A lot of us approach Christmas with all this kind of mild and calm, you know, and, and nostalgia and, 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 and revelation, apocalyptic. It'll wake you right up out of that and tell, hey, this is what Christmas is, is all about. This is what's really going on like behind the scenes with the birth of Christ. Apocalyptic literature will wake you up spiritually in a way that other kinds of biblical accounts, other forms of biblical literature doesn't necessarily. It's written in a way to kind of jar you a little bit, to shock you a little bit. And so this Christmas, I'm hoping to do something maybe a little bit different. I'm hoping to maybe jar you and shock you and wake you up a little bit with what's really happening behind the scenes. And what we're really celebrating at Christmas time. So if you got your Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. The, the, the verses will be on the screen. You could also go to our app. It's called the City Church Lubbock and follow along. The message notes will be there. The verses and the quotes and the points will, will all be there for you. Revelation chapter 12, starting in verse one, for a different picture of the Christmas story, a different version. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and with a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns with seven crowns on his head. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky and he threw them to earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all the nations with an iron rod and her child was snatched away from the dragon, was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. And then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. And then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night, and they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. 
Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. It's kind of a different version of the Christmas story, isn't it? One theologian said about the Christmas story in Revelation chapter 12, Christmas is a declaration of war by God. What an incredible picture. It's not the all is calm, the all is bright, right? Sleeping in heavenly. No, this is war. This is a battle. It's a war and it's a battle for your soul. For your kids' souls, for your grandkids. It's a war. This is a battle. Christmas is a declaration of war as God sends the true rightful king to defeat the dragon and to rescue his subjects. In Revelation 12, we see a woman who represents Mary, but but it's so much more than that. She represents Eve. She represents the nation of Israel. She represents Mary. She represents the church. That's that's you and I. And, And this woman gives birth to a son, a son who will rule the nations, a a, a son who's the promised seed from uh, from Genesis chapter three that would crush the head of the serpent. This is a, a promised son who will be a blessing to all nations as was promised to Abraham. This is a a son who's a king. He's gonna rule the nations as was promised to King David. Uh, You'll never cease to have a, a son, someone from your family line reigning on your throne. This is a son of a promise that God has made to his people. It's the promised king. And this devil, this dragon is raging against the woman. And remember who the woman represents. It's, it's Eve. It's, it's the nation of Israel. It's Mary. It's, it's the church. This dragon is raging against the people of God, those who came before the Son and those who come after the Son, who trust in the Son, who hope in the Son, who follow the Son. This dragon is waging war against the people of God, against the children of God. And so Christmas is God's declaration of war to send the true and rightful king to defeat the dragon and to rescue his kids. The dragon is angry, knowing he has very little time. And so he wages war. He's always waged war. He waged war against the nation of Israel to prevent the son, to prevent the king from ever coming in the first place. He wages war against the the, the son, this child now, as he seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, and and to snatch away worshipers of the the true king. This is is a spiritual battle. This is a a war. But but it says here, all those who follow this this child, this this, this child that was given birth to by, by this woman, all those who follow this child that was snatched away from the devil, who, who defeated death and went to the throne, that is in heaven, that's referring to the ascension of, of Christ to his throne, that all those who follow 
the son of God, this king, John says, they've overcome the dragon. Past tense. Like there's a war that's being waged for your soul and, and, and my soul, but, but those who have given their lives to Jesus, it, it's, John says this, they've defeated him, the dragon, through the blood of the lamb. We have a victory in Christ over this dragon who wages against us, over the, the darkness, the pain, the sin, the suffering, the death that we experience in this life. We have victory. We have overcome Satan and death itself through our faith in Christ. You see, Jesus coming as a baby is the overthrow of evil, of darkness, of Satan by the one true king. Michael Byrd in his evangelical theology said this about these verses. I love this. He says, what's important here is that Jesus's birth and the blood that he sheds constitute the victory of God over the evil one. God's plan to repossess the world from the dominion of darkness is launched in the birth of a child who is destined to defeat the dragon that rages against the people of God. And then he goes on to say this. I love this. The powers of this present, the powers of this present darkness shiver at the looming tsunami of the kingdom of God as it draws near. The Jesus Storybook Bible puts it like this. It's a Bible for kids that we've used with our own kids as they were growing up. It says it was just as God promised to Adam and Eve all those years before. Jesus had come to do battle against the snake's work. He would get rid of the sin and the darkness and the tears, and he would suffer, but he would win. You know, Jesus says, in this life you have many troubles. You will go through many trials and tribulations before the kingdom comes. Jesus told us we're, we're going to suffer. There are going to be times where we sit in darkness, where we feel the darkness, but that time of darkness will not last forever because the powers of this present darkness shiver at the looming tsunami of the kingdom of God, that tsunami that began with the birth of Christ, and it draws nearer and nearer. And with it, the kingdom of God and the king of the kingdom, Jesus. Our big idea in this series has been this. Our souls are longing for presence, his presence, not presence. But, but here's what we've got to understand about this presence that we see in Revelation 12 is that this is a powerful, kingly presence. Our, our souls are longing for presence, but here's what you've got to understand. This isn't like tender and lowly and mild and nostalgic. This is a powerful, kingly presence. And, and we even get glimpses of this in the traditional Christmas stories, like in Luke, in Luke chapter one, in verse 26, it says this, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King 
David. So, so Joseph is a descendant of King David. So, so he's royalty. In fact, if Israel had still been in power, Joseph would have been a king potentially. Verse 28, Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and he will be called the son of the most high. This child that's gonna be born is a son of God. This isn't just any baby. It's not even just any king. This is a son of God. This is going to be God in the flesh. The Lord God will give him the throne. This this baby is going to receive a throne from God himself. He will be given the throne of his ancestor, David, and he will, watch this, he will reign. He will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never in the birth of this child is the birth of an all-powerful, cosmic, eternal king who has a kingdom that will never end. And so to follow Jesus means bowing your knee to a king, an all-powerful, cosmic, eternal king who has a kingdom that will never end. If you have given your life to Jesus, then you have bowed your knee to the one true and rightful king who reigns forever. If you choose to follow Christ, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, but but at some point you make a decision to follow Jesus. Make no mistake, that decision to follow Jesus is a bowing of your knee to the one true and rightful king, the king of all kings an eternal, cosmic, all-powerful king whose kingdom will never end, to which some of us respond, and rightfully so. I don't know if I really like that, right? Like, I don't know about that. You know, bowing my, Jesus is this all-powerful, eternal, cosmic king. I'm bowing my my knee to, like, I don't know if I like that. Like, that doesn't just sit too well with us in our pride. We want to be king. We we want the benefits of the kingdom, but without the king. But Christmas reminds us that this child, the birth of this child that we're celebrating is the birth of an all-powerful, cosmic, eternal king. In C.S. Lewis's books, The Chronicles of Narnia, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, this idea of this king, this ruler, is a little bit scary to, to Lucy. And we, and, we, and we see this specifically in the Chronicles of Narnia, in, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when, when Lucy is having a conversation with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And they're talking about Aslan. And she learns that Aslan, the king, is a lion. And that's scary to her. It it, it frightens her. 
And so Lucy asked Mr. Beaver, then, then that means he's not safe because he's a lion. That's terrifying. So he's not safe. And Mr. Beaver said, didn't you hear what Mrs. Beaver told you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. He's a lion. But then Mr. Beaver would go on to say, but he's good. Yes, he's a lion. And yes, he's the king but he's good. There's an artist I follow on Instagram who drew a picture of Lucy riding on the back of Aslan. And the post for this image that this artist made said this, when I'm in the middle of my own despair, when I'm drowning in waves of anxiety and clouds of depression, I don't need positive and encouraging. I need dangerous and terrifying. I need not for my struggle to be met by kindness. I need it to be met with wrath. As equally as he is full of love, he is full of wrath. A dangerous, jealous rage that, that I need. Because it's not towards me. It's towards anything standing in the way of me. When sin grips my life, I, I don't want to be coddled by my comforts. I want to be burned by his refinement. When abuse knocks on my door, I don't want a dad that welcomes it in. I want a father that says, Never again. When death comes to seek and devour me, When death comes to seek and devour me, I don't want a wolf who is willing to hear it out. I want the lion who is willing to destroy death once and for all. God is love. And because he is love, he is dangerous. Every parent knows that. You love your kids and that makes you dangerous. He's an absolute danger to anyone that dares interfere with his love. And thank God he is slow to anger and quick to forgive. Beloved, God is not against you. He's against anything that isn't really you. For only a coward king would let his people rule themselves. Fortunately, our king is a lion. Our God is wild. Our God is dangerous. And because he is wild, we can be free.
Our king is a scary, dangerous, kind, good king. And his reign over you is for your good. It's for your good. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said it like this. Peace will be established only by the reign of the Prince of Peace. You can only know peace, real peace in your life in spite of the circumstances, right? You can only know real peace in your life when the Prince of Peace is reigning over your life as your good king. There's a series on Netflix called The Crown. And it's about the life and reign of Queen Elizabeth II. And I, I love this series. I'm very interested in the English monarchy and the history there. I, I love this series. Queen Elizabeth II was the longest reigning monarch in the world. The longest reigning monarch in England's history. And when she died, Patrick Boynes, the principal of the British Bible School in England, said this. So with the people from long ago, who used to say, God save the queen, we now say, God save the king. But here's what he said. What we really need is a king who will save us. That's what we really need. And that, that scary, wild, dangerous lion who is a good king is the only king in history who didn't send his subjects to die for him. Instead, our king came and died for his subjects. He's a good king. He's worthy of your life. He's worthy of your worship. the kind of king that we need. I'd like to convince you this morning it's the kind of king that you need. It's the kind of king that I want. And deep down, whether you realize it or not, it's the kind of king that you want. Much like the people of God awaiting the first advent, we await the second advent when our king will return. And in the meantime, we experience pain suffering, sickness, death as we wait, and it makes the waiting hard. But the advent of Jesus in the first advent is the final proof that however slow God may seem, his slowness is not a sign of his absence, it's a sign of his patience. In week one of this series, we, we saw that God is not being slow. He's being patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance, for as many as possible to bow their knee to the one true King, King Jesus. God's being patient. He's being patient with you. He's being patient in the return of his son for the second advent so that as many people as possible will turn from their sins and bow their knee to the one true king. That's the only reason that Jesus hasn't returned yet. He's being patient with you. He's being patient with your family members. He's being patient with your friends. 
He's being patient with your coworkers and your schoolmates and your teammates. He's being patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but for as many as possible to come to repentance and to bow their knee to King Jesus. So God is not slow in keeping his promise. He's being patient. He's being gracious, drawing all to his son, King Jesus. But while we wait, for some of us, God will act sooner than we imagine. Healing an illness, reconciling a broken relationship, ending an addiction. For others of us, God will ask us to wait until his son Jesus returns for the second advent. But for all of us, God's promise of restoration in Jesus is certain. And though his return seems slow, it will come. And this is what Advent is all about for the Christian, for the church today. We live between the Advents. We look back on the first Advent and we know that God fulfills his promises. And so it gives us hope for a second Advent when the King of Kings will return and with it, his kingdom that will never end. Pastor Rich Volodos said this, the good news of Advent is not that we are faithful in our waiting, we often aren't. The good news of Advent, the good news of Christmas, is that God is faithful in his coming. The promise keeper will keep his promises to promise breakers like you and me. That song we sang earlier, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, Listen to the words to this song. It sounds, after reading Revelation 12 and after everything that we've talked about, it, it sounds more like a battle cry. L listen to it again. O come, O come, Emmanuel, ransom captives who mourn in lonely exile here. Free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell, thy people save. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, O come, empower King Jesus so that all will be calm, so that all will be right. Would you pray with me? just with heads bowed, eyes closed, just kind of a moment between you and the Lord right now. You know, the good news of Advent, the good news of Christmas is only really good news to a people that understand their deep need for a savior, that understand they've sinned against God, that there's a punishment for that sin. There's a fine to be paid for breaking God's law. And that fine is eternity separated from God in a place called hell. The great news of Christmas is that God doesn't leave you in that place. He sent his son Jesus to be born and live and die in your place for your sin, to pay your fine for sin and three days later to rise from the grave, conquering sin and conquering death itself. And so this morning, if you would bow your knee to the King of Kings, Jesus, and give your life to him, the scripture says you can be forgiven of your sin and made right with God and know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. Not because you've been good enough, not because your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. The Bible is clear in Ephesians that good people don't go to heaven, forgiven people do. 
and you're forgiven of your sin when you give your life to Jesus. And so this morning, I wanna challenge you, if you've never made that decision before, bow your knee to King Jesus. His reign over your life is for your good. Grab that connect card that's in the seat back in front of you, fill it out. Check the box that says you're giving your life to Jesus today. Take it to our welcome center. After the service, we've got a team there that wants to pray with you and celebrate that decision with you. But God, we pray this morning that you would give us a passion for your presence. It's what our souls are longing for. It's what we were created for. It's to be near to you. It's to know you. And so God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit's presence here right now. God, I pray that every last person in this room would feel the, the, the presence of God because it's only in your presence that all can be calm and all can be bright. But God, we recognize that that presence is a powerful, kingly, eternal presence. So God, I pray this morning that this Christmas that we would recognize and believe and trust that the reign of Christ over us is for our good. And that it's only in the reign of the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings over our life, that all is calm and all is bright. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as our team leads us in worship?